This morning we are um, continuing our series in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Um, our passage this morning is Hebrews 11, 8 through 22. That's printed for you in the bulletin. Um, so I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up in a church, didn't grow up really going to church, wasn't around Christianity as a child. Um, that, was, uh, that was true up until freshman year of high school. I was about 15 years old. Um, during that year, both my older brother and a group of friends that I got to know, um, they were connected to this Christian ministry at my school. And so during this, this time of, of my freshman year, I began to uh, be exposed to the Bible and Christianity and even other Christians uh, for the first time, which was an amazing experience. And I, I speak of that often. Um, one of the things I noticed, though, as I interacted with this group of Christians is that they talked a lot about accepting Christ. They talked a lot about accepting Christ. They used this term frequently. Um, they talked about when they had accepted Christ. Uh, they talked about um, the need for others to accept Christ. And um, over the few months that I spent uh, around them, I really um, wanted to become a Christian because I began to believe what they, were, what they were talking about when I was reading in the Bible. And I wanted to, in their words, accept Christ. But I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, they used it so frequently. Um, it had meaning to them. Uh, they understood what it meant. But suddenly I found myself uh, you know, wanting to accept Christ, but being really unsure as to what that actually meant. It was really easy for, for us to, uh, if you're a Christian, to, to use some term that makes sense in certain groups uh, or maybe within the walls of a church. But then you use that same phrase or term with someone who's unfamiliar, and it sounds like a foreign language. What does that mean exactly? Uh, this same thing can happen with words like faith. We're talking about faith this morning, and maybe instead of being totally unfamiliar with the idea of faith, um, we just carry a lot of assumptions about what it means to have faith. Maybe you're here this morning and, and um, you don't really have a church background, and maybe you're not fully convinced of the claims of Christianity um, but even still outside of Christianity, a lot of people have a category for faith. Maybe it's um, faith in the goodness of others, uh, faith in themselves. Uh, maybe it's like a general sort of faith that, that things will just work out well. How is faith talked about in the Bible? We began to talk about this last week. We looked at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in verse 1. It gives us this definition. And Hebrews 11:1 1 says... Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we said that that can actually be um, translated as the reality of things hoped for and the evidence or proof of things not seen. So it's not just um, sort of hoping that things work out or that hoping that this is all true, but it's this concrete, rock-solid uh, reality, evidence, proof of what we believe. So we're going to continue in Hebrews 11 this morning. And the writer is going to continue to unpack this idea of faith. And specifically, the writer is going to give us snapshots of what faith looks like. And so to personalize it, we can think about it this way. What will your life look like when you have this faith inside of you? When you have this biblical faith inside of you that we're talking about, what will that look like in your life? All right, this is Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. These are God's words to us this morning. Let me pray and ask him to be with us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to be together and to consider it. Uh, Lord, you know the things that we bring into this room. Uh, The joys, the sorrows, the distractions. Lord, we ask you to meet us in these things. Allow us to know more of you. To understand your word more. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work within us during this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I will never forget uh, being 15 years old and uh, beginning to learn to drive a car. Uh, I grew up in Missouri, and uh, the law was pretty simple when it came to getting your learner's permit and your license during this time. Um, all you had to do was pass a uh, written exam for your learner's permit before you took the actual driving test on your 16th birthday. Uh, it didn't matter whether you had your learner's permit for six months or for six days. Uh, You just had to pass that written test before you went in to take the actual driving test. And so I waited until about two months before my 16th birthday to get my learner's permit. Um, I read the study guide, went in, took the test, passed it, got the permit. So this permit then made me eligible to begin to learn how to drive. And I would say um, over the the next two months leading up to my 16th birthday... I probably drove a car with my parents in it like maybe five or six times. Uh, Not much at all. Um, But I wanted to really take this test when I turned 16. You can see, by the way, there are some inherent problems with how the system was set up. The law has since changed since I turned 16. But when I went in to go in and take my actual test, um, I was full of of book knowledge about driving. Um, I knew the rules of the road. But I had very little actual driving experience. And so I go and I take the test and 
Um, I did okay, except on one part, uh, parallel parking, which no one knows how to parallel park ever. Cars do it themselves now, so we don't have to know that anymore. But on this portion of the test, I was so far away from the curb that the lady administering the exam said, you know what, just stop. Just go on, and, and uh, you know, we'll see how you do on the rest of it. But somehow I passed. But I went into this test with a lot of head knowledge uh, about how to drive a car. I could have told you how it works. I could have told you the rules of the road. Um, but I went in with virtually no real experience driving a car. I was good at the knowing And I was bad at the doing. The writer of Hebrews this morning gives us examples of people who not only knew about faith, but actually did faith. Um, There was this outworking of what they had in their heads and their hearts that began to show itself in their lives. And the writer of Hebrews gives his audience these snapshots in our passage of what faith does, of what faith looks like as it gets worked out in life. Now, keep in mind, we've said this before as we've been looking at Hebrews, that he was writing to this audience that had come from a Jewish background. They they had a Jewish background. They had embraced Christ by faith. But they were at this point where they were considering going back, considering going back to something that they had before, forsaking this new faith for something they had prior, what was familiar to them. And so the irony of our passage is what the writer does is he gives them snapshots of the faith of their Jewish ancestors, these patriarchs, to show them, hey, this is what this new faith actually looks like lived out. So for our purposes, what does faith look like? What does faith do? Three headings I want to consider this morning. I want us to see that faith remembers, that faith looks forward, and that faith shapes today. The first thing the passage shows us is that faith remembers. What does it remember? Remembers God's promises. So the beginning of our passage, verse 8, picks up with Abraham. And look at what it says in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went not knowing where he was going. Okay, so in this verse, the, the writer of Hebrews is referring back to a really important passage in the Old Testament. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That would be good to make note of and, and go back and look at later this afternoon. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to go. Very important passage. I'll, I'll read it for us. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the writer of Hebrews is referring back to this passage. And in that passage, what does Abraham remember? He remembers God's promises to him. God said, go and do this thing. Leave your country. Leave your family. Leave all that's familiar. Go to this place that I'm going to reveal to you. And I'll bless you. I'm going to give you many descendants. And what is God doing in that moment? He's making a promise with his words to Abraham. And when God promises something to us, it's good that we listen. It's good that we remember what he has said. And this is part of what it looks like to have faith. To remember those things that God has said to us in his word. We see it again in verse 11. 
Verse 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So Abraham and Sarah, they're old in age, well past childbearing years. Yet part of how God's promise would be fulfilled would be through their children, which they didn't have yet. But it says that by faith Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. So in this circumstance, which seemed impossible, totally impossible to have a child in old age, she remembers that God who has promised to do it is faithful. There's more remembering. But look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. So again, uh, from Genesis 22, when God tells Abraham to offer up Isaac as his sacrifice, his son through whom this promise was supposed to be fulfilled, another impossible situation, right? This would have been totally confusing. This was the one through whom this nation was supposed to come about. But it says Abraham acted as one who had received the promises. Again, remembering what God had said to him. So faith remembers God's promises. This past November, my family and I went up to Richmond, Virginia for a weekend so I could run a marathon that the city puts on up there. And um, when you run a marathon, there are a lot of important things to remember on race day. Uh, If you talk to anyone, though, who's ever done a marathon or if you read anything about it, um, above all else, there's like one single most important thing to remember. And that is to not start out too fast. You have to remember to pace yourself. You have to remember to start slow. This is like marathon advice 101. And guess what? Every time I've done a marathon, do you know what I always forget? I always forget to start out slow. I never pace myself properly. Why? You have all these months of training behind you. You've rested a couple weeks leading up to this big race. You're bursting with energy. You're excited to be at the starting line. And, and something happens when you set foot on the starting line where it's as if you get brainwashed and you think, you know, I might try to run six-minute miles today. I mean, I haven't been doing that in training, but surely I could do it. You know, I'm in pretty good shape. I should be at the front of this line, shouldn't I? But what happens? If you forget to pace yourself, it ruins the entire race. The amount of energy you put forth, even in just going like 10 or 20 seconds per mile faster, could make it to where at the end of the race you can barely walk. Forgetting to pace yourself is the greatest threat to running a good marathon. Do you know what the greatest threat to our faith is? It is not culture out there. It's not um, the agenda of a political party that you disagree with. It's not being influenced, getting involved with the wrong group of people. The greatest threat to our faith is forgetting the things that God has told us in his word. And we are oh so quick to do this. And it's not just that we forget what God has told us is true, but we misremember and tell ourselves other stories in those moments. It's, it's that we forget the true story of God's promises. We remember other things that just aren't true. And the stories we tell ourselves are actually crucial for how we live. There was an article in the Atlantic Monthly a couple years ago from a writer named Julie Beck, and she talks about how stories shape how we live. She says, quote, storytelling then, fictional or non-fictional, realistic or embellished with dragons, 
as a way of making sense of the world around us. She goes on to say, And like personal taste in books or movies, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are influenced by more than just, well, ourselves. The way people recount experiences to others seems to shape the way they end up remembering those events. This article goes on and it makes the case that we live our lives according to the stories that we tell ourselves. And the way we tell that to others then shapes how we think about our current moment. This is all about how we make sense out of where we are today, our relationships, our careers, our families. We do it by stories. And so we have to reflect, how are you making sense out of the world around you? What is that story that's on repeat for you? Um, Often for me, I know it's not um, God's promises. It's not the truths of the Bible that that I'm telling myself over and over again. Um, Good promises to remember like, I'm a beloved child of God. I'm fully forgiven. I'm fully righteous in Christ. I'm fully loved. I can have real peace by knowing the Lord. I don't have to live in fear of hard things or other people or situations, all because of what Jesus has done for me. Those are good promises, good stories to recount. But we often forget this true story and tell ourselves other stories. Things like, If I can just find a spouse, then I'll be valuable and complete. Or, I'm such a bad parent to my kids, I'm ruining them. Just over and over again. Or, I'm so unlovable, I'm damaged goods, no one wants to be with me. Or, um, I will finally matter once I get that promotion. Or, I'm such a failure that everything I do, it just makes things worse. Or maybe the story is, if I don't hold myself together and my family together and my world together, then it's just all going to crumble. It's all on me to hold this together. Maybe the story is that I have to be perfect so people don't leave me. I wonder what it is for you. What's the story that's on repeat? In those dark moments, what's the narrative that's making sense out of your situation? We all have them. And this passage is showing us that faith remembers. Faith remembers what is true. And we could even say that faith fights to remember. We have to fight to remember what is true. Uh, One of the promises that I have to pound into my head is from Zephaniah 3.17. It's a verse in the Old Testament. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Over and over again, I have to remind myself of what's true. What story is on repeat for you? And what will it look like for you to fight to remember? So faith, first of all, remembers God's promises. The second thing we see is that faith looks forward. Faith looks forward. What does it look forward to? looks forward to God's city. Look at verse 10. So the author speaking again about Abraham says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, so God told him to go to, go to this land that he would show him. Abraham went. And so you would think that Abraham was set on this physical, geographical land. Uh, to, I mean, for him to leave all that was familiar to him, he must have been dialed into setting up life on this land. 
But the writer tells us that Abraham was even looking past this geographical place to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Why? Because even uh, this promised land for God's people, it was this teeny little taste of what was to come. It was all pointing forwards towards this city of God, this new heavens, this new earth. And faith looked beyond the, the immediacy of this physical place to eternity with the Lord, to this heavenly home. So my family and I um, live just off Lawrence Road on the other side of downtown. And so uh, my commute to get downtown goes down Lawrence Road. I turn on Washington to go through downtown. Um, so it's been really fun to read about uh, all the plans to revitalize this whole Lawrence Road um, corridor. Uh, the city you know, has identified this as a major area of, of investment in the next few years. And it's been fun as they started putting renderings uh, in the paper about what this is going to look like, you know, where the Swamp Rabbit Trail is going to connect and where certain restaurants are coming into town. And as I've looked at these renderings in the paper, it's actually changed the way I view my commute. Um, Instead of looking at like old condemned buildings or a vacant lot with tall weeds and trash, um, I've begun to have this vision of like, oh, the, the Swamp Rabbit Trail is going to connect there. And this will be the new spot for this restaurant. That building's going to change and be cleaned up to make this instead. But this future vision has changed the way I view Lauren's Road, even though many parts of it right now don't look any different than they did a year ago. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that our faith has this future component to us, to it. And that by faith, in the midst of the really hard things going on today, we can actually see up above it to a future with God and his people in his city. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we then deny the hard realities for today. But we begin to see that these things are not ultimate. That there's this new city that's coming. And this future component of our faith that helps us with even the hardest things in our lives. Things like death. Which is throughout this passage. Look back in, at the text at verse 13 and following. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Look down also at verse 20 and following. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What's going on here? It's faith looking forward, even beyond the moment of death. This week, I was actually talking to a local funeral director and He's been in the profession for over, uh, over 30 years, well over. And I, I asked him what he had seen change during the course of that time. And he said he's seen a few things, but one of the biggest changes that he has seen is that people now ignore the reality of their own death. He said it's not just that we go around and, and try to, like, to not think about it or not like, have morbid thoughts, but we just live as though we're never going to die. Because that's just not a reality. Which you can see why that's a flawed way of thinking, right? Physical death in this life is a guarantee. Yet many of us operate though as though it's not an option. 
The writer of Hebrews says that faith looks up beyond death to the city of God that awaits us for all eternity. And that doesn't mean that death isn't tragically sad or even really unpleasant or scary to think about. But faith sees it for what it is and sees beyond it to the city. So faith looks forward. Last week we said that regardless of your beliefs, we all have some kind of faith. We all have these faith commitments. And so what is that future thing for you that you're looking forward to by faith? You know, we all have something. In this sense, we all live towards something. We live towards some vision or some goal. What is it for you? You know, maybe it's living towards finally getting to that house or that neighborhood we really want to be in. Maybe it's living towards meeting a spouse, getting married, having kids. Maybe it's living towards finally getting your financial situation under control. Whatever it is for you, you can can see how those things that we're living towards, they shape our today. They have an impact, like right now. And so according to our passage, faith lives towards the next life. Eternity with God and his people in his city forever. So faith remembers, faith looks forward, and this remembering and this looking forward, it shapes how we live today. So the last thing we'll think about is how faith shapes today. As we sort of bounced around this passage to look at all the ways Abraham and others remembered and looked forward, um, it might be easy for us to miss like the very real, tangible ways that faith led to them acting today. Look at verse 8. As Abraham remembered God's promises to him, he's looking forward to this future city, remembering, looking forward. There's obedience in that moment. Look at it. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. And look at verse 9. The remembering and the looking forward in faith meant that he would live in this tent and what was at that time this foreign land, away from all that was familiar, had this immediate impact on him and his life. Look down further in the passage at verses 17 and following. Again, God uh, calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. He remembers God's promises. He looks forward to God's future. And what does he do? He obeys in that very hard moment. Which, If you keep reading in Genesis 22, you see that God provides this ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. These are all snapshots of the lives of those who have faith, right? Of those who have looked forward in faith, of those who have remembered. And you see that it shapes their today. All right, so what are we to do with this passage? Us considering it this morning, what are we to do with it? You know, there's a real temptation to just walk away from this morning. You know, we heard these references, these famous biblical figures and... Um, we will walk away impressed with their faith or feeling like we should feel impressed uh, by their faith and and we're going to go out and and get better at having faith. And their faith is impressive. That's why the writer of Hebrews includes it in here. But if that's what we walk away thinking, then we're missing something even better. All right, so at its core, what is faith? It's receiving and resting on what Jesus has done. At its core, faith is receiving and resting on what Jesus has done. 
So what does our faith remember? What do we remember today? We remember that God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to rescue us. And he came and lived a perfect life in our place that God looks on us not through our life and works and obedience, but through Jesus' life and Jesus' works and his perfect obedience. And that while our sin deserved death, that we should have died because of what we have done, Jesus died for us and took our place. We remember that. We remember that Jesus wasn't conquered by sin, but he himself conquered it. Because he died, but then he rose again. He came out of the grave. This is the true story that has to be on repeat for us. This gospel is what we have to fight to remember. It's this receiving and resting on what Jesus has done for us. This is what our faith remembers today. And what do we look forward to in faith? We look forward to the fact that this same Jesus is going to come back and make us new, make our city new, and make our whole world new again. This is the future vision of our faith. For Christmas this year, uh, my two older daughters were sent uh, skateboards from their uncle, which I, to be honest, was a little worried about at first. Uh, But they'd been asking and asking, and their uncle came through for them. And so Christmas morning, what did my daughters do with this gift? They opened it up. They received it. And, you know, they yelped with excitement. But they accepted it as a gift. And then what did they do? They took the skateboards outside and basically all day long rode their skateboards down our driveway, picked it up, ran to the top, did it again and again and again and again. What were they doing? They'd accepted this gift and now they were enjoying this gift they had been given. And they were living in light of this new gift. Receiving and resting in Jesus Christ, this gift of faith, is just that. It's a gift that we receive, not by merit, not because we're good people and we deserve it, not because we're intellectually enlightened and we've realized, hey, we actually need this, but by sheer grace. And what do, what do we do with this, with this gift? We receive it, and then we enjoy it. And it begins to shape our today. Uh, these stories that we tell ourselves about the past, the future that we imagine, these things shape how we live today. So as you think about your own life, how is your faith working itself out today? And what does that tell you about the story that you're remembering and the future vision that you have? And maybe the question for you this morning is whether or not you have this faith that's being described here. And if not, how do you get it? This is the good news. There are not hoops you have to jump through. You're not going to leave here with a to-do list. You get this faith by receiving and resting. You stop trying to prove yourself worthy of it and acknowledge that you're not. And that Jesus was for you. This is faith in Jesus Christ. It's on offer to you this morning. Let me pray and ask if we might believe more fully. Our Father, thank you for this reminder from your word. It is good to remember. It is good to be reminded that you are faithful to your promises. That what your word says is true. That we can bank on it. And it's good to be reminded of 
our future vision of life with you for all eternity, with your people, where there is no more sin and sorrow and sickness and death. Only life with you, feasting with your people. God, remind us of that this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.